be in Matthew 17 tonight, also a bit into Luke. So, Matthew 17, we're going to start with verse 14, go through about verse 23. They told me in Bible college, you're never supposed to confess things like this, but I am who I am. So anyway... This is an older sermon that I've preached before when I was in Manitowoc. And uh, because it was a rather intense week, uh, helping the farmer with hauling sugar beets and things, and I'm supposed to start again tonight, actually tomorrow morning, kind of early. So uh, I took a nap this afternoon, and anyway, here we are. So this sermon is actually from Luke's text, but it fits the Matthew text. And uh, so, I'm actually skipping a few verses, which, Lord willing, we'll get back to a little later. We talked about the transfiguration last week, uh, so, uh, Lord willing, we will look at verses 10 through 13 later. But tonight, we'll, we'll look at verses 14 through 23, and I'll read these verses. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic and sore vexed. For oftentimes he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I said unto you, If you have, grain, or if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. So Peter, James, and John have just been with Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus goes from the Mount of Transfiguration down to the Valley of Need. That's kind of like how life works very often. Remember years ago in Bible college, Dr. Les Olula saying after a heart conference, all right, guys, you've been here at the heart conference enjoying things in the mountaintop. You're going to be leaving here and <laughs> there's going to be somebody in great need when you get back to ministry and you're going to be back in the trenches again. And that's how life is. We thank God that he cares for us and in all those different times. So uh, Peter, James, and John were with Jesus. The other nine were out ministering. Mark 9, 14, a parallel passage says that he came to his disciples. and Jesus gets there just in time. There's three different groups of people there. There's the scribes, Mark tells us more about that. There's the nine disciples, and there's a desperate man with a hurting son. This desperate man had brought his hurting son, this demon-possessed son, to the disciples for help. 
Now this, this boy, this son, was in desperate condition. Uh, this demon who possessed him was, was cruel. Uh, they all are. Um, Luke tells us how the, uh, Luke and Matthew as well, take the son, causing him to cry out. The demon would also tear the boy. Luke tells us more about that. The word for tear could also be translated convulse. Perhaps he would go into, into convulsions, foaming at the mouth and, and bruising himself. People say that this effect is similar to, to an epileptic seizure. In fact, they tell me that for a lot of years, uh, people who suffered epileptic seizures, which is a legitimate medical condition, all right, were said to have demons. And we say not necessarily. Just because somebody has epilepsy does not mean that they have a demon. But there was that line of thinking. Mark chapter 9, I'm going to go there. Mark 9, 17 and 18 gives us some more details. Mark 9, 17 and 18, one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. Couldn't talk. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. I spake unto thy disciples and they could, that they should cast him out, and they, they could not. And so, here's this, this poor boy, and he is suffering. I'm just, parents here, you think, if that's your kid, what grief and sorrow and heartache just to, to, to see that. I mean, we all see our kids suffer a little bit, even if it's just a scrape near a bruised elbow, and it, you, you feel for him. And it, it, just imagine the, the desperate condition of, of, of this dad, Dad and mom probably didn't dare take their eyes off this boy for fear of what happened. Is he going to land in the water and we're going to need to pull him out? Is he going to land in the fire and we'll have to rescue him? What, what's, what's going to happen here? And so the father here apparently heard about Jesus and he tries to bring the boy to Jesus, only Jesus wasn't there then. Kind of sounds like us when you need help. You, know, you go to the doctor and well the doctor you need isn't isn't in or you know, things like that happen but yet God is still on the throne isn't he and so we know that Jesus had given power to his disciples over uh, devils and over diseases uh, Luke tells us that Luke chapter 9 I'm kind of preaching this from three texts tonight Luke 9 there, verse 37, this starts. Luke 9, 1, he had called his disciples together, gave them power and authority over all devils to cure diseases. And so they had the power. Um, they had previously cast out devils, but this one didn't work. This demon wouldn't listen. Later on, Jesus tells us why. Luke tells us that the scribes were there, is as well. Um, actually, Mark Mark nine fourteen tells us that. And when he came to his disciples, saw a great 
multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them, okay? So the scribes are there. These are these religious leaders, skeptics, and they are questioning the disciples. They were always there ready to taunt. And so into this, into this scene walks the Lord Jesus Christ and Peter and James and John. Mark 9.16 tells us, Jesus asked the scribes, he asked the scribes, saying, what question ye with them? And, and they find out that the dad comes and tells Jesus what's going on, asks him for help, tells him that the disciples could not help. Jesus says they're faithless disciples it's sad. And there's scornful scribes, and Jesus says there in Luke 9, 41, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. The demon there throws one last fit in, in Luke 9, 42, and he was coming, when he was yet coming, the devil threw him down and tear him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. Imagine the relief there of that father after that, after that happens. Um, and then Jesus tells the disciples that something must have seemed totally out of place for them. We read that in, in Matthew, that he is soon going to to suffer and die. We noticed this here a few weeks ago that this would seem totally out of place. And Peter, no, no, Lord, uh, don't do this. But what they didn't get was that the cross was necessary for victory. So what does this mean to us today? And so I would say to you tonight that we need a total trust in God's help uh, for a hurting world. We need a total trust in God to help a hurting world. Three principles. First of all, we need to recognize we're in a spiritual battle. You know, we get so wrapped up in day-to-day -day struggles of this world. We have work, we have bills, we have problems, um, situations that, that we need to deal with. And sometimes we forget about what's, what's really important. Uh, we're in a battle for the souls of people, Ephesians 6.12, would wrestle not against flesh and blood. Right? And so the battle has two sides. There's, there's desperate people here, we notice in the text. First of all, there's the dad and the son, and I'm sure there was a mom there. And these are hurting people. You know, they're still hurting people in the world today. We think, oh, nobody wants to hear anymore. Well, there are still some people who will hear. And there's, there's hurting people out there, like the Phillips in that testimony of Michael and, and his mom. And if we will just try to lovingly get involved in the lives of people, sometimes God will open doors to help. Sometimes it takes months, sometimes it takes years. But if we will just try to gently, lovingly be involved in the lives of people, you know, we can have opportunities to help people. Here's this, this hurting, hurting dad. And then there's the, the scoffing crowd the scribes there. Somewhere here I wrote a note, there's no scoffers on Judgment Day, right? But there are today. We have scoffers today. And uh, what do we do? 
Well, we're not going to be able to answer all their questions. We're not going to be able to you know, have a sufficient argument for all their scoffing. We just sometimes need to just keep on walking with the Lord and let the scoffers scoff. The best thing we can do is, is, is do what God calls us to do. The scoffers stopped scoffing after Jesus healed the boy, right? And so may God direct us to hurting people. There's desperate people. There's Satan's cruelty. We don't see open demonic influence in the U.S. as much as we used to. I wrote this sermon over 15 years ago, and I'm thinking it's more common than it was 15 years ago. Things are changing. I suspect the MAPES could probably tell us some stories of some things that they may have seen or heard of there in Ghana involving demonic influence. Just because we... Don't see it here in the U.S. as openly doesn't mean that it's, it's not happening. Um, Satan is busy. Satan uses other methods. Satan is very deceptive. See, a whole lot of deception in our nation today, in the world today. Who's behind all of that? Satan. Lies. Um, one of his favorite ones is you don't need God. You're not that bad of a person. How many people have told me, oh, I'm not that bad? Well, we're all sinners, the Bible says. People say, well, how do we know the Bible is true? That's just a book that people have written, and it's it's been around for so long and been translated so many times, and we don't know if it's actually true or not. Now it's getting to the point where if you stand for biblical values, you're you're a hater, Satan is behind all these things, and he's keeping people in bondage. John 8, 44 tells us Satan is, is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is cruel, and he's still just as cruel as he was back then. Here was this poor little boy in torment. Uh, think today how effective Satan is at using drugs and alcohol and various addictions to torment people and we need to remember that God has already defeated Satan. and Our victory is in the cross of Christ. We need a total trust in God to help a hurting world. We need to recognize we are in a spiritual battle. And then we need to remember to keep up our spiritual discipline. So why couldn't the disciples cast out this demon? All three Gospels give us the answer. Uh, the disciples were lack, they had a lack of faith. Faith doesn't have to be big, but it does need to be alive. And Jesus uses the illustration of a mustard seed in Matthew. Mustard seed is a very small seed, but it grows into a large plant. Our faith may start small, but it should grow as we grow in our relationship with Christ. And sometimes we can say, well, why did the disciples doubt? I mean, they had seen Jesus do all these miracles. Well, why do we doubt sometimes? <laughs> we have the Bible in front of us, and we say we believe the Bible, and we can read of all those things. Why do we doubt? But sometimes we do. And we need to put our faith back in God. We need to remember how he has cared for us before. And so when the next trial hits, we need to keep our faith and trust in God. There was a lack of faith. There was a lack of prayer. Mark 9, 28, 
29. And when he had come into the house, this is after the boy has been freed from the demon, his disciples asked him privately, privately, why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. It needed serious prayer. There's nothing magical about fasting, but I think fasting is a, a good spiritual discipline that sometimes the Holy Spirit will direct us to, to engage in. I haven't done a lot of it, honestly, in my life. There's been a few times when I had a particular need or situation where I did some, uh, some fasting. I think the, the blessing of it is, is that it kind of focuses our attention, and hopefully it's true of us. We say, Lord, this, this need, this problem, this situation that I'm praying and fasting about, it's, it's more important to me even than, than food. And uh, perhaps the disciples here had gotten lazy spiritually, and, and sometimes we can get lazy spiritually. I think sometimes God brings problems and situations into our life to, to get our attention again, to get us focused on, on living for him. Um, sometimes people think God is just a machine and you just pull the right lever and, and you get what you need. But we need that deep, constant relationship with God, you know, there's no substitute in our own personal life for a deep, consistent walk with God, and there's no substitute for that. And uh, all these gimmicks and self-help books and all those other things, and you know, sometimes there's some value in some of those things, but we just need a deep, consistent walk with God. There needs to be time of of daily prayer and, and daily time in the Word and walking with the Lord. So we've looked at a couple of principles, recognize we're in a spiritual battle, remember to keep our spiritual disciplines, then realize that the victory there is in the cross. Uh, Matthew 9, or 17, 22, And while they were in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry made no sense to disciples. And, and who wouldn't be sorry? I mean, if somebody tells us that they're going to die soon, you know, a friend or a relative says, I've, you know, I just saw the doctor, and doctor says, I've got a month, I've got six months, I've got a year, I've got a few years. We don't like to hear that. <laughs> we, we can understand the disciples' grief, but it went beyond that. They thought, well, here's our Messiah, and How's he going to bring in the kingdom if he's, if he's dead? And they just didn't get it. They did later. They wrote the Gospels and wrote most of the New Testament. But they, they didn't get it there at the time. Um, but we need to understand that's, that's where our victory comes from. Uh, they're, they're just dumbfounded at, uh, at what Jesus has told them. They, they so feared his death, but that was exactly what was required. It was through the, 
death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that, that Satan was, was defeated. This death of Christ that seemed like a, the great defeat was really the, the greatest victory. And so what do we need to do for our doubts, our problems, and our stubborn sins? We need to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Understand for salvation, certainly, but also for, for life. Just trust him for those situations. You know, the, the God who can raise the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead, certainly can handle our problems. And we need to put our faith and our trust and our confidence in him for every situation of life. We need to recognize we're in a spiritual battle. We can't fight this on our own. People or problems that seem to really be the problem, it's a spiritual battle and there's something going on behind it. You need to remember to keep up our spiritual disciplines. We need a total trust in God. We need a time of prayer and devotions, and keep up our walk with God. We need to remember that our victory is in the cross, where Jesus has already won the victory on the cross. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for this example of this poor boy, tormented father by this demon, and how you gave the victory, Father. Father, help us to remember that we need a deep, consistent walk with you. Father, may we prioritize that relationship and the busyness of life. May we not forget that we need to walk with you. There's nothing more important than our daily time in, in your word and in prayer. So, Father, take us and use us. Help us to be a blessing to hurting people even this week. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.